today, one of them days, you know, I heard people say, you know, I ain't got time. Well, you know what? I got time today. I got time. And if you don't want to listen, tune off now. Um, if you want to know how I really feel, stay on for a little bit. Because I think it's time. It's time to talk. It's time for us to be really honest about the conversations we need to have um, of what's going on in, in America, of what's happening um, specifically right now to African Americans. And the help that I'm not going to speak for everybody else. I'm going to speak for me. The help that I see that is needed um, from our Caucasian brothers and sisters. Um, you cannot, you cannot sit by and say you love me and be okay with this. You cannot sit by and watch this type of stuff happen and see on camera, to see live, to watch what's happening and still try to convince me that it's all in my head. I, th I think we're way past that point. And we've been past that point for a very long time. Um, I think we as a community have been telling people for decades, you know, literally centuries, but decades, here's the stuff that's happening. Here's what's going on. And people didn't believe us. People would always assume, hey, it's what you're doing. It's what's happening. Uh, you know, you should make better decisions. You should do things differently. You know, maybe if you, if you, if you, it's always an if you, but at what point do we look at those that are in authority and at what point are they held accountable for the decisions that are being made? At what point do we look at these things and say, hey, this is a little, it's a little different. This is not the same. I saw a video that had multiple police officers standing there and none of them helped. None of them said a thing, but you have people who are by the cars standing there shouting at the officer, get off of him. He can't breathe. So now as a person, even if I'm watching this, I got a decision I got to make. Do I run over and help him? Because then, because of how the system works for people like me, if I run over and help him, I guarantee you I just assaulted an officer. I guarantee you I'm resisting arrest. Or worse, they fear for their lives and they shot and killed me as well. It's a catch-22. What are we supposed to do with this? Like, I don't think y'all understand, you know. Um, so, you know, I'll give you some history, man. I grew up predominantly being the only black person in most spaces that I was sent to. Um, I didn't grow up in the best area. You know, um, it wasn't terrible, but it definitely wasn't the best. Like, we was right around the block from terrible. My mother worked her butt off to send me to a private school, uh, to send me, put me in sports, to put me in different things because she didn't want me to grow up like the community that we lived in. And she wanted to, in her mind, expose me to a bunch of different things, you know, help me to see life differently, um, to think differently, which I thank God for, man. I thank God for my moms and how she did that and the work she put in and where she sent me. But can I be real honest with y'all? I spent probably the first eight to 10 years of my life not wanting to be black, like real talk. Um, the communities I lived in, um, love my church family, absolutely adored them. My best friends to this day are from that church. But how I was treated when I would go into these other spaces, and I went to a private school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Some of y'all know the stuff that we went through there um, some of you have no clue, you know, as a kid getting asked, you know, can I touch your hair? Why do you look like that? Or little things like when everybody's supposed to color each other and 
people in the room want to color you with a black crayon, like literally with a black crayon. This don't look like a black, but I know you got brown in that box, bro. Um, comments being made about, I know you live in the ghetto, you know, growing up and comments being made about you being a gangbanger, your family being a gangbanger and all this other garbage. Playing sports, man, having folks calling you nigger. Having folks trying to take you out, take your legs out, take your knees out. For no reason, just because you the black guy on the field. Playing basketball. Folks fouling you a little different. A little different than they're doing everybody else. Um, watching how the game is called by referees in certain areas. Going places and being challenged by other opposing coaches on what they believe you to be and how they believe you act or treat people. You can be passionate just like the white guy next to you can be passionate. But when I did it, it was me showboating. When I did it, it was me trying to, you know, down other people, man. When I did it, it was unchristian. Um, man, I can tell y'all story after story, man. Go on places with friends who lived in affluent neighborhoods and being told, hey, man, you know, you make sure you stay with us because if other folks see you around here, you know, they'll call the police on you, some other stuff. And, you know, we kids and they know this is true. They know this is true. Man, I've been mistreated in a lot of areas and I know a lot of y'all don't know nothing about none of this. But I feel like I got to tell you because I have friends that I love in the white communities that really don't believe this stuff is happening. Um, friends that, that I would go to war for. And what I'm trying to do at this point, I'm trying to get rid of a level of ignorance, at least amongst the people that I have influence over. Because for me personally, y'all look, I'm so done. I'm so done caring about folks' feelings and caring about folks' opinions and what they think should be and shouldn't be said. I could really care less. You know, a well, Pastor Jay, you a pastor. That's right. And I am here to tell you nothing but the truth. I remember being a kid going to the bowling alley Again, being one of the few little chocolate pieces running around, you know, not being able to get on teams. I remember going to tournaments. Uh, I remember one in particular at a naval base, you know, naval base. You would think this should be equality, right? No, man, I'm down there bowling and some of the kids is telling me how they don't like people that look like me on the naval base. This is just what you grow up with. And you grow up with all this mess and you grow up with people treating you a certain way. Folks don't want to put money in your hands. You grow up with folks, uh, you know, mistreating you at restaurants, how they will serve everybody else, but serve you differently. You go to places and you can't get the service you know you deserve being followed. Like I can tell y'all stories, Gurney Mills. I remember going with my white friends and it would be, you know, seven, eight of us and they'd be acting a Fool, for real, for real, y'all, for real acting a fool. Like, they should have been arrested. We all should have been arrested. Nothing, nothing. Let me go with three black friends. No, let me go with two black friends, and it's just the three of us, and we're literally minding our own business, being followed by security, uh, being told that we're loitering in the mall. I got told I was loitering. I had a guy come out and threaten to call the police on me at the mall because I was standing outside his store, and he told me I was running off his business. I've been pulled over numerous times for fitting the description. Um, story you guys don't know, my mother, uh, and those of y'all that know my moms know, man, she didn't bother nobody. My mother was pulled over and surrounded by seven or eight police officers with guns drawn. Guns drawn. 
could have ended up a whole different way. Um, she was on her way to church and had my nephew in the car, and he was about two years old. Literally my mom and an infant. Police pull up, guns pulled, creep up on the car. You know, she's not moving because, shoot, you don't know. You don't know. They come up to the car. Of course, she fit the description. And, you know, I've gotten in trouble before because I, I get flippant at the mouth because um, I, I already know, you know, I'm sorry, sir, you fit the description. I know. I know I did. I know he about, let me explain, about 5'8 to 6 feet, black, driving in a, you know, Buick, Toyota, something general. I know I fit the description every time. Um, I got pulled over for stealing my own car. Yep, got pulled over for stealing my own car. Um, I literally got in the car. I was living in an apartment complex, pulled out. The, I hadn't even left the apartment complex, actually. Pulled out of the parking space and was driving to leave the apartment complex and got pulled over. And I'm like, now, nah, you know, good and well, I ain't did nothing but come out the house and get in the car. Uh, the officer came up and he had an attitude, man. I'm like, I had an attitude, too. I ain't going to lie. Like, <laughs> the fact that you got an attitude got me having one. Um, you know, told me give me my license and registration, you know, whose car is this? And I'm like, you know, it's my car. Let me see your license and registration. Handed it to him because I keep my stuff on point. Um, he was like, well, I don't see your name on this registration. I told him, and look, the name on the registration is Barbara English. That's my mom, and this is my car. My name is James English, as per my ID. And I was like, you know, can you, can you help me understand why you pulled me over? And I hadn't even gone anywhere. I know I wasn't speeding. Um, I couldn't have done anything. You know, well, I was sitting in the parking lot and I saw a car running and I decided, you know, I saw you come and get into it. And, you know, I, I thought you might have been stealing the car. And I just sat there and looked at him for a minute because I like y'all don't understand, man. Y'all don't understand what it takes to go through this stuff time after time after time and then still be civilized. Like, you don't understand. And people want to say, well, black folks, you know, y'all get real passionate and you get real fired up and y'all take it over the top. And you like, you don't understand the constant frustration that we live with of having to navigate this foolishness that if I want to get home safe, I got to be a certain way, act a certain way, make sure my voice stay at a certain level, my face don't do certain stuff. Um, don't use certain terminology, don't use certain words, man, because you might scare the wrong white person and end up like a Maude Aubrey. Like, you don't understand that this is some of the mess we deal with, and then we still got to go to work. We still got to go be civilized. We still got to deal with the next time I get pulled over, putting my hands in a place where they can see them and making sure that I'm on my P's and Q's so I can make it home. And I told them, like, yeah, my car was running. You know, it's wintertime. And... There's a certain thing called an automatic starter. I have one. And since it's like, you know, 12 degrees outside, I started my car from my apartment, let it run so it would warm up. I came out and you was right. The car was running. And I got in it. And I did drive off. But it wasn't because I was stealing it. Like your first thought, when you saw a car running and a black man getting it was that he had to be stealing the car. And here's the part that, that I don't think you understand. These are from authority figures. Like if it was some just random dude on the street, 
I could really care less. This is from somebody that has the power to stop me. This is somebody that has the authority to put me in cuffs. This is somebody that has the ability to put me in a jail cell and write up a report however he sees fit. And it would be my word versus his. And I don't think you understand what it's like living under those realities. Um, that I could have an automatic starter, get in my car, and then get pulled over because I might have been stealing it. I've been pulled over driving on the highway for drug trafficking. Now, y'all know good and well, if anybody trafficking drugs, it ain't me. I had the officer come to the car, and he tried to ask me all these crazy trick questions. He tried to get me to trip up on stuff. And, you know, do you want, would you be okay if I search your car? No, you cannot search my car, sir. And people want to be like, well, if you ain't got nothing to hide, then you should let them search it. You a fool. You crazy. There are, not all, I want to clarify, I know a lot of great police officers. Just like any other position, any other job, there's some bad ones too. And anybody that will randomly ask you if they can search your car and they don't have a warrant and they don't have probable cause, you cannot search my car, sir. Because there are people who will plant things in my car and then take my in the jail. That's a reality I have to live with. So when he's asking me all these crazy questions about where you're coming from and where you're going, and he tried to get me with uh, University of Illinois. I was actually coming back from Eastern Illinois University uh, where I went to school for several years. But I had on a U of I t-shirt. So you're on your way back home from college, huh, from U of I. And I was, I'm confused. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I... I don't even, I don't go to U of I, you know, uh, you know, so you're not coming from Champaign. You're not from the Champaign area. I'm so confused right now, um, but I'm keeping my calm and I'm telling them, you know, no, sir, I'm not, I'm not from Champaign. I, I don't go to school in Champaign. Never have. You know, oh, well, I just found it interesting. You know, you have a U of I t-shirt on, sir. I just like the colors. <laughs> I just like the shirt. Um, just a number of things, man. I was removed from public property. Um, and I'm not saying all this stuff to make you feel like I'm a victim. I am telling you these things because I have lived my life in such a way to not have these problems. I have learned the rules. I've learned the regulations. I know how to play ball on the court. I know how to code switch. I know how to act. I know how to behave myself <laughs> in certain company. Um, I know the do's and don'ts. I'm educated, I work, I love God, I'm degreed, I'm a pastor, I've been doing ministry for a long time. Everything I do is about helping people. And what I'm trying to help you understand is that you can do everything the right way and people will judge you for this. All of that goes out the window. I was on public property, man, and it had to be, I don't know, 75 or 80 other white people there. We was all out by a lake. Here I come, wanting some peace, wanting some quiet, going out to the lake. And I think I was there 15 minutes, and a police officer walked up behind me and um, asked if she could speak to me for a few minutes. And I don't blame her, just a reality. She was like, you know, started asking me questions, you know, who I was, what my name was. And, you know, uh, if you're black, man, you can already feel it. You, there's certain conversations where you just be like, I already know this is about to go left. I already know. I don't know how, I don't know even why, what's happening. And 
I just told her, I said, you know, I know you're here for a reason. So I appreciate you being nice and, and having a little conversation first. But let's just go ahead and, and, and let me know what's happening. And she was like, you know, I, I did receive a report, um, you know, of of a suspicious figure in the area um, matching my description. And, you know, I was asked to come check out, check it out. And, you know, I, I found you here and, you know, you're, you're being asked to leave the premises. And I asked her, I said, you know, how is it you can ask me to leave like public premises? Um, this isn't a private area. This isn't private property. There are people all over the place. We're all here at the lake. I'm here literally looking at the water, minding my own business. But somebody saw me walking through a parking lot because, again, I parked my car. Then you typically park those in a parking lot. And I walked through the lot over to where the body of water was. And they called the police because I looked suspicious as if I had been looking in the cars around. And I was removed. I was asked to leave. And it's, those are just a few of the things, you know, that's not going into friends of mine. That's not going into stories that I could tell you that would, you might not believe me, um, but I'm tired. And what I saw today that happened in Minnesota, what I read about that happened to Breonna Taylor, where you can literally be sleeping in your bed, sleeping in your bed. First responder, y'all, she's on the front lines and Law enforcement broke into the wrong house. Her boyfriend defends her, just like I would if somebody tried to break into my house at 2 a.m. The door comes down, he grabs his gun, he begins firing, and they fill the place with lead, and she ends up dead. And they ended up charging him with attempted murder of a police officer. Now, the charges ended up getting dropped. But how the story was even initially told wasn't what even happened. And we're seeing more and more of this. And we've been telling you for a long time that this stuff has been going on. Don't believe everything you see. Don't believe everything that, uh, that you read. There are real people being affected by this stuff. And I'm tired. I'm tired of having to raise my daughter in a world that's like this. I'm tired of having to navigate not even so much the world, if I'm honest, y'all. It's the Christians that really frustrate me. I'm finding myself having to argue with them. And I feel like, man, what Jesus is this that you're serving? Like, who is this Jesus that you claim you know so well? Because I don't know him the way that you, the way you're acting, the way you're talking, the way you're treating people. I don't recognize that Jesus. I'm tired. And it's not a, a fearful tired. You know, I do everything I can. There's certain things I can't control and some of this stuff that's happening. I got friends and family, you know, Jay, what can we do? Like, y'all got to stand up and fight, too. You got to say something. You know, I'm tired of seeing the outrage around COVID-19. And I'm seeing, man, I'm seeing my white brothers and sisters go ham. Because they ain't supposed to leave the house. And they are. Public rebellion is in force right now. We're not staying in this house. We open, we're reopening our businesses. We're going to the beach. We're going to the store. We're not going to wear these masks. We are getting out. We're going to open up this country. And we're putting pressure on the congressmen. We're putting pressure on our representatives. We are calling. We are out here literally with guns running into government buildings. But when your brothers and sisters are literally dying, 
literally dying. I don't see the same level of outrage. And it makes me wonder how important is my life really? Is being able to get that haircut more important? Um, is what you see as an infringement on your rights to move around freely when I'm telling you that my rights to move around freely have been infringed on, I'm 40 years old. And there's still certain places I don't go and can't go. I've got white people saying they being treated like Rosa Parks. So if y'all ask me, what can you do? Don't say no mess like that. Don't say that. I promise you, you're not being treated like Rosa Parks. I guarantee you. The oppression that you feel, and I'm not belittling what you're feeling, but what I am saying is that for you to be as outraged about what's happening with a quarantine, and you're that outraged, but you cannot seem to understand my outrage of the stuff that I've had to live through and go through and deal with every day and still be civilized, still go to work, still show love, still be respectful. Still maintain my job, maintain my positions. I thank God I don't work in corporate anymore, man. I used to be a killer. Stuff like this would happen, and I'd have to go to work, and I'd typically, again, be the only black person, and now everybody want to ask me stupid questions. And I got to do the best I can to answer them. Because if I don't, how else can you learn? How else can you understand? How else can you realize that we live in a great place? And America is a great place. But man, we got two different experiences. And me saying that there's still work to be done does not imply that I hate America. And I'm tired of the, 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 just the, the polarization that there cannot be two truths in this area. That yes, I live in a great country. But yes, this country has a whole lot of work to do. I feel like a lot of people deserve better. Now, push come to shove, absolutely. Stuff go wrong, I'm called on the police. Their job is to serve and to protect. But there's a level of understanding I expect with that protection. There's a level of reasonableness. There's a level of, of service and of treatment. And I don't understand how we can look so differently on the justice system than we do a number of other areas of life. You know, hey, let me reason with you. If I go anywhere else in the world and any other service organization, that can be food, that can be hospitality, that can be transportation. And there are certain expectations of you on your job that I come into this expecting. And when you don't meet those expectations, I expect repercussions for that for you. There are amazing servers. And you know what I do? I tip them extra. You know what? I was going to give you 20 because that's the right thing to do. But man, this 20% ain't nothing on what you did. Let me hit you with this 35. But then I've gotten some servers who was terrible. And I couldn't wait to get their manager over there. Like, let me tell you, if you really want to stay open and you want to continue having my business, you need to get rid of them. They need to be held accountable for how they acted, for how they treated me, for how they spoke to me, for how they threw my food on this table, for how they refused to bring me straws, for how I saw them go to that table over there four times in the last 20 minutes, but they haven't been to my table once and I'm right here looking right at them the entire time. We have a thing called medical malpractice where if I go to the doctor and if he mistreats me, subscribes me, you know, prescribes me a medication that does me harm, if he does a surgery and leaves an instrument inside of me that causes damage, I can hold him accountable. Um, there's liability to lose his license the hospital is held accountable. 
there's a lot of different things. Um, the issue is in being able to hold our law enforcement accountable. For the ones that are doing the job well, ain't got no problem. But when we're looking and we're seeing mistreatment being done by specific ones, and then for us as an African-American community, we don't just see it being done, man. It's caught on camera for everybody to see. And then they're charged and they get off and they're released and they're allowed to go back to potentially do it again. Because I believe that anyone who does something like this in the broad daylight with cameras on there right in the middle of other police officers, this is not your first time. How many other numerous people have been hurt, injured, affected by the same officer that happened, what happened today? It's hard, you all. Like, I don't, I don't think you really understand. And, and I'm trying to really bring it to a place of understanding how, how this affects us, how we as a people have to live our lives where I can't do what everybody else can do. And I know this. I, I'm not as free as everybody else. We talk about the reality that at some point there was a law of three-fifths a person. And I feel like that's still here. I don't count as a full person. My concerns aren't as valid. Three-fifths. My hurts aren't as concerning. Three-fifths. The things that are happening to you, oh, I feel bad about it, but you know that's just kind of how it is. Three-fifths. I don't see the same thing. I'm looking at COVID-19 and I'm seeing an entire country shut down. And then I'm watching people put so much pressure on the government and on officials and on everybody that within three months, with no cure, with no vaccine, with no plan, we're going to reopen everything. I'm watching you get stuff changed. I'm watching it happen. I'm seeing you do it. We've been screaming for oppression and inequality and changing of laws and justice and all these different things for hundreds of years and we can't get it changed. So we need your help. You got to stand up with us. You got to open your mouth. When you're in arenas and places where you see and hear stuff happening, you got to speak up. You got to be willing to lose something. That might be a friend. That might be your job. That might be the people that are around you that are talking this crazy stuff. And you know what they're saying. You know what they're talking about it is, is, you know, I hear people saying, well, everything's politically correct. No, it's not about being politically correct. It's about being a decent human. Because, see, here's what the big change is. And this is where I struggle. Um, it's not that things have changed. It's not that things are becoming, you know, everybody's so politically correct. No, the people who've been infringed upon for all these years now have a voice. People like me can go live and share with you exactly what's been going on in my life. In times past, that wasn't that way. Like, do you understand for us to get our voice heard, we had to convince somebody to listen, number one, and then to act on it. We couldn't get in the newspaper. We couldn't get a video processed and put on the news. We didn't have news officials and anchors and TV reporters and athletes and all these different things speaking out because they weren't allowed to. You weren't given that platform. You weren't even given that platform. So if something happened to you and you went to the police and if they didn't report it, might as well not have happened. Well, now things have changed. Now I can show you what's going on. I can tell you what's happening. I can tell you how I feel about it. And our voice is being heard and it can't be shut down. And that's what I love about social media because now we can take our own videos and show you, here's what happened to me. 
Here's what happened to him. And instead of waiting for the media, waiting for our public officials, instead of waiting for the people that would not want information like this to come out, we're able to put it out ourselves. And now that voice is being heard and people are saying, well, you know, we're getting all this pushback on being politically correct. It's not about being politically correct, man. It's about understanding that real people's lives are being affected and we want it to change. I want the same freedoms everybody else has. That's what I want. My man the other day, out bird watching. A lady comes through with her dog. Maybe you've seen this. The dog is off leash. It's in a place where signs are posted. Dogs should be on leash. He, as an African-American man, speaks to the white lady and asks her, put your dog on a leash. She flips out and tries to weaponize the police. I'm going to call the police on you and tell them a black man is harassing me. I can read all between them lines. And you can too. So the level of ignorance when people try to act like they don't understand, you understand. You get it. And he was smart enough to record the incident. Thank God some people showed up on the scene that were reasonable and were able to portray what happened. But this foolishness of trying to weaponize the police on people and this mess that we're seeing, like I need y'all to really understand lives are being affected and I'm tired. So for me, I have to speak out. And I've been speaking out and I've been speaking out in you know private places. I've been speaking out in one-on-one spaces and that's become more public as time is going on. Um, and I'm at a place now where I don't care. I don't care about your feelings being hurt because people are dying. I don't care about making you comfortable because people are dying. I don't care about you understanding or trying to uh, rationalize, you know, well, I don't understand how this happens. It's been happening for a very long time. Let me tell you how my family got to Illinois. My grandfather was a sharecropper. Now, I know some of you think sharecropping was actually a job that people applied for. Sharecropping was like one generation away from slavery. And my grandfather got into it with uh, the, the sharecropping master, as I like to call it, uh, his boss man, which is just another terminology for, you know, the master on the, on the scene. Got into it with him. They got into an altercation. The minute the altercation was over, my grandfather left the field, went home, told his parents, and his mama put him on a bus that night. Why? Because they're probably going to come kill you. And killing of black people, you can get away with that. If folks want to say you can't, Exhibit A, Ahmaud Aubrey, where you can kill a black man in broad daylight for jogging down the street. You can chase him with a car, jump in it with your shotguns, shoot and kill him, call the police. They come file a separate report that don't even reveal what happened. You can go on with life for two months. And until the video is released, skate scot-free. That's the world I live in. That's my reality. And that reality is not comforting. And I need my brothers and sisters to understand that and to have a level of compassion and lament. Stop trying to deflect. Like, what can you do? What can I do differently? Well, number one, when I'm sitting here talking about stuff like this, here's the thing I don't want you to do. Don't bring up black on black crime right now. That is not what we're talking about. And I see that a lot. I get a lot of deflection uh, from my white brothers and sisters where I don't see the same level of outrage. You know what? Shut up. You're not going to see the same level of outrage because this is different. 
I'm talking about people in authority who have the right and the ability to take lives. Something I learned about leadership is that we have a lot of power and we have a lot of authority. It's what we do with it that determines who we are. Sometimes not using the authority I have actually benefits the situation more. And I have to pick and choose those times. Always wielding my power and wielding my authority does not solve every problem. I got to be able to rationalize in my mind, is this the time? And I'm not seeing that from some places. And then people to defend that. It breaks my heart, y'all. Like it breaks my heart because I don't know what else to do. What else can we do? I can work with youth. I can change communities. I can build programs. I can start ministries. I can grow things. I can challenge lives. I can reach people for Christ. I can do amazing things. I feel like God has blessed me to do that. And people will still look and see a black person first. That's what gets us. At what point is it good enough? And we know that it's, it, it doesn't get to that point because it's embedded. It's deeply embedded. What are things that you can do that you can help? Man, start number one. If you really want to help, this has to start from a childhood aspect. You got to start teaching your children about black history, which means you got to start learning it. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 1 that we got to learn to do good. Learning to do good is learning about the people that need the help. And right now I'm calling to you and telling you, we need some help right now. We need some things to change and we can't do this by ourselves. You got to help us change this. You got to help us do this. Isaiah chapter one, learn to do good. Learn to do good. Verse 17, you mean you got to be teachable, man. You got to be willing to learn some stuff. I grew up private school, never learning about black people except slavery. Oh, and George Washington Carver, inventor of over 300 items with peanuts. But you know what I didn't learn? I didn't learn my value. I didn't learn my history. I didn't learn my culture. I didn't learn the realities that even the Bible that they were teaching me from, that entire Old Testament is in Africa. The pictures that I was being shown and taught about with Abraham and Noah and Joshua and, and all these amazing people that God was using, I never saw myself in any of those. I never realized God could use me in that way because I never saw that. Nobody taught me that Abraham was black from the land of Ur. Nobody taught me that Egypt was an African nation until I learned about it many years later. We talk about the things that the Egyptians build, the pyramids and all the things that happened and all of the amazing technology that was before what we know as America. And the reality that Africans were doing that. I never learned about the most amazing empires. I never learned about the Moors. I never learned <laughs> at school. We would talk Christopher Columbus and all the things he did. But to learn later on that African nations had been traveling the ocean for hundreds of years before him and trading with Mexico what we know as Mexico, South America, North America, that Christopher Columbus himself found African artifacts, statues. Not taught. 
All these things that would have made me see myself differently. So when I go back to the story and tell you that when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I didn't want to be black. These were the reasons why, man. It was harder than it was for everybody else. My neighborhoods didn't look the same as everybody else's. My family didn't have the money some other people had. I got tired of being picked on. I got tired of being talked about. I got tired of being made fun of. Um, I got tired of being called names for no reason. I got tired of being treated differently by my teachers. Not all of them, but I had a few. I got tired of watching my friends being mistreated. I got tired of sporting events. I got tired of being targeted. Um, when you work in corporate America and you know you're good and you still have... And this is 2000, y'all, you know, 2000. I think this is about, what, 2015, maybe? You had a billion-dollar corporation, and you got people referring to black people as colored people? What year is this? It's not being politically correct, man. It's, it's understanding. It's being willing to listen. It's being willing to acknowledge that I don't know everything. And then when you learn some of that stuff, teach other people. Teach them, challenge them. When they say crazy stuff, when they say off-color stuff about Hispanics, African-Americans, and you know it was in bad taste, don't let, you let that mess fly. Challenge them on the spot. That's how you can help. Start teaching your kids to view us as people. Don't let the media teach them that all black folks, we can only be athletes and entertainers. And that's the only way we get to be exactly who we want to be. We can do anything. We have done everything. If y'all knew the number of inventions and things and exploration and my God, things that have been done that were done by African-Americans, but then were given to someone else because we can't allow someone who looks like you to have this type of credit. And that's not being taught in the schools. That's not being part of our normal education. So kids are growing up whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. They're growing up and they're learning to see things through a very skewed vision. And it's not culturally accurate. And these same people are then growing up and they're becoming law enforcement officials. They're becoming representatives. They're becoming mayors. They're becoming presidents. They're becoming all these things that are making these laws and then enforcing these laws. And we're wondering why we have problems. I'm in Milwaukee. I got the largest education gap in the nation here i'm in milwaukee i have the largest incarceration rate in the nation here in milwaukee we've got some major issues we are the number one place for black people not to live major problems you don't get these on accident it's not on accident people want to say it's a conspiracy no it's really not you cannot accidentally do this these are decisions that are being made. Funding goes to certain places. It does not go to others. I'm here living it, you all. You can call me a liar if you want to. Come move out here to Milwaukee and do work with me. Give me a year. Tell me if your mind don't change. We got people who are coming from other communities that are coming out here doing work, and it's changing how they vote. Because they're out here meeting people and seeing real needs and learning names, not statistics, real names and seeing how they're being affected. Man, I could cry, but I'm crying out. I ain't even got tears left. 
because it doesn't surprise me. So at this point, I'm not looking to change the world. The world's not going to change. What I'm looking to do is to change your mind. I'm looking to help you understand that this is real. That something could happen to me at any given time because I just simply was at the wrong place at the wrong time, actually minding my own business and came across the wrong person. When you see systemic racism, when you see government systems that run in such a way that people cannot get ahead, when you see how jobs are located in certain places and not in others, and then transportation is not provided, when you see the realities of housing, the realities of the economics of the businesses and the food and the streets, the transportation of trains and buses, when you see the realities of what's being decided at a government level, you realize very truthfully everything is not people's choice. And I hear that, you know, well, if they, they just made different decisions, you know, well, if they just, just move, just do this, they don't have to live there. <laughs> Yes, they do. Yes, they do. If I told you just COVID-19, I have a pick and save right up the street from me. I don't go there. I used to. Three minutes up the street. Um, when I go to that pick and save, it's very different. When I go to the pick and save about 20 minutes away over in Germantown, I feel like I'm in a whole different world. COVID-19, what? I understand why... People are saying it's not this serious because when I go to certain communities, you don't see it. Ain't nobody got on a mask. Stocks are the, the stock shelves are full. Stuff is fresh. What shortage? What issue? Come over here to my community. It looks very different. Very different. When you tell people they need to stock up for two or three weeks to stay home, and you got people over here that don't have the money to stock up for two or three weeks to stay home, what else do you expect them to do? Go outside. What am I supposed to do? I got kids to feed. I got to go to work. Not being honest, you know, I had a conversation with a, a white man the other day, and I appreciate the conversations because it gives me a chance to share a different perspective. But he was like, Man, look, I don't see what the big deal is. I'll treat it like the chicken pox. If you don't have it, go find somebody that's got it and get it so you can get immune. And I said, wait, sir, time out. <laughs> I understand that's your perspective, and that's valid from, from where you're coming from. And I said, I, I see a lot of you know my friends and a lot of people I know are having that same conversation. I said, but do you realize that COVID-19 is killing my community three times a higher rate than yours? So us just going out and getting it is not the answer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, friend. This affects us completely differently. Well, why do you think that is? You ain't even got the time for me to tell you about the disparities in healthcare. You don't even have the time for me to tell you about the mistreatment that some of us receive from physicians and doctors. About how our hospitals are set up in our areas. And again, it goes back to our transportation issue. Because when I was growing up, and thank God I had a car and I had a vehicle, I had a little bit of money, I had good insurance. Trust me, it was certain hospitals I did not go to. 
Tell me, if I'm having a heart attack and you about to call the ambulance and they say they about to take me to such and such, I'll drive myself, heart attack and all. You're going to take me over here. Oh, no, because I know what happens over there. People die over there in the waiting room. It looks different. The communities look different. The treatment looks different. The funding looks different. Everything looks different. So when in your community, you can look at things and say, that's not that big a deal. Open back up. People are over here dying. They're saying statistics say less than, I think, 10% of white people know someone who's died from COVID-19. But my people is in the 30-something percentile. I know people who are in the hospital right now. I know people who have been on ventilators. I know people who have been in comas. I have friends and family who have been affected and who have lost loved ones. So again... It's not just me speaking off of what this isn't a victim mentality. This is reality for us. And I need you to have that same level of outrage you've got right now for quarantine. Our rights are being infringed on. We're being oppressed by our government. They're trying to take our rights away from us. They're trying to change our Second Amendment laws. We're not going to take it. I'm telling you, we got the same problems. But they listen to you. People attribute so much to Martin Luther King Jr. And I love him for what he did and what he accomplished. But I got news for you. He was doing stuff for a long time. But all of a sudden, Birmingham happens. They march across the bridge and video cameras caught white people getting sick on by dogs. Being shot with fire hoses, being beaten and dragged away. Outrage was real then. It had been happening to us. We had been doing marches been doing sit-ins, been being lynched, been being dropped off in ditches and stuff. You got Emmett Tillman, you got all the way up to this young man today. It's been happening. We have not been lying. We've been telling you. So what I'm looking for at this point, I need that same level of outrage. I need y'all to come on and get with me. This pain that I'm feeling, I need you to feel that. And I need you to do something about it. I need you to open your mouth. I need you to talk. I need you to call your congressman. I need you to put the same pressure on them for this. That I'm seeing being put on them for a number of other things. That's not costing people lives. Your rights are being infringed on? What about my rights? Your freedoms are being taken away? I wish to God I had the freedom some of you take for granted. I got to think about where I go, what I wear every day. Certain neighborhoods. It's not in my best interest to have a hood on. We got black folks being told they can't wear their natural hairstyle going to work. But your rights are being infringed on. We have churches. My God, I love my church. I love the body of Christ, but I'm here to be honest with you. We got churches that don't want to talk about this type of stuff. You just want to preach the Bible and go home. This is Bible. Seek justice. True religion in James chapter one. Taking care of the orphan and the widow. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and told them it's great 
that you do all of this stuff. It's great that you pay tithe and that you don't miss a penny of what you owe from a tithing perspective. But you forget the more important things. Justice. Mercy. Where's the compassion? Where's the conversation? Well, Pastor Jay, we might lose people. You know, if you bring this stuff up, it's a sensitive topic. Oh, believe me, I'm living it. I'm not even asking you to live it. I'm just saying, walk with me. Don't leave me here by myself. If you're a predominantly white congregation and you got black people in your congregation, I promise you they're affected and they're hurting. And the worst thing you can do right now is keep your mouth shut. You better address it over the pulpit. Call out the crookedness. Call out the inequalities. Make them known to people that don't want to believe it still happens. Challenge the ones that want to point the fingers back and say, yeah, but if black people only would, you know what? You have no clue. It's amazing what we don't do. I had a conversation with another brother that I really respect. And I think I was like, I don't think white people really understand the level of clarity and calm that we deal with and walk in every day in spite of, in spite of, and we don't lose it. We don't snap off at the handle. We deal, we suck it up, we swallow it, we cry, we vent, and we go right back to work. We go right back to church. We go right back and we, we, we're there for our families. We hold it down. But at this point, I'm tired of fighting on my own. And I'm asking you to fight with me. We got to do something. We can't just sit here and keep waiting for things to change. But we can't do this by ourselves. If you got to ask questions, ask. If you need a safe place to ask them, inbox me. I'll answer whatever questions you need answered. There's an emotional toll that we take as African Americans specifically in sharing some of this. I'm paying an emotional toll talking to you right now. And I'll pay that. If it will affect you, if it'll change your heart, if it'll change your mind, if it'll help you see African-Americans a little differently so that when you see somebody, I had a young man in my youth group. This probably gonna make me mad all over again, but I gotta tell you, in my youth group, one of my best kids, Goes to a great school. <laughs> got a great mom. Polite, mannerable. Got a great future ahead of him. He go to the grocery store with a hoodie on. Some old woman, he walk past her, she gonna snatch her purse and move it over like he want her raggedy stuff. This is the trash we deal with. It hurt him to his heart. I see people saying, how do we fight back? Start talking. I'm not here. For me personally, I don't think fighting back is going to look different for all of us. Fighting back for me is I'm no longer being silent and I'm no longer caring to uh, make people feel comfortable. Um, if it's stuff like this, um, there's a couple of things going on. There's a panel discussion going on tomorrow with the Milwaukee Declaration I'm going to be speaking on. We were getting together to talk about Ahmaud Arbery. Then this happened. Um... We're doing some things intentionally to bring people together to have these conversations. 
Um, I am challenging more specifically my Caucasian brothers and sisters. That's really who this challenge is for. I think we as African-Americans, we've been fighting and we tired. <laughs> but you got to use your platform. You got to use your voice. You have to use your influence. Any space you are in and there's anything even remotely off kilter, you got to call it out. You got to challenge it. You got to bring attention to it. You got to say something. You got to take somebody in the room. That's one on one. If you're a pastor, you got to address this stuff openly. You got to have a conversation. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Not even a little bit because I'm living it. You talking to me about, well, we might lose some members. I could really care less, man. If those are the members you lose because they feel like you're being too politically correct by caring about the plight of your brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't deserve to be there anyway. Because that's not the fullness of the gospel. Again, that's not the fullness of the gospel. Now, I've said this before. I'm not looking for the entire world to change. That's impossible. That will only happen when Jesus comes back and writes this entire mess. It's too deeply embedded for the entire world to change. It's been going on for too long. The system is so stacked a certain way from education of infants on up. We're all raised to view things a certain way. I have my own level of bias against African-Americans. Why? Because of everything I always saw and was taught. That plays a role. I have to fight that daily. And people, we don't, as African-Americans, we don't talk about that enough. I watched a TV show two weeks ago. And they took regular people and put them in a police officer simulator. Regular, everyday people. They gave them a gun. Uh, the gun was shooting blanks. And they had people popping up out of different areas, seeing who would they shoot. If they had a gun or if they had, they didn't have a gun. Some people had cell phones. Some people had nothing. They had their hands up. And a very high percentage of people at the end of this simulation, they had a white person and a black person jump out at the same time. Neither of them had anything. A high number of people shot the black person. It's in us, y'all. Like it's, it's ingrained in us that there's a level of danger if I got to pick between the two, that one's more likely to hurt me. And we got to be willing to talk about it. We got to be willing to deal with it. We got to be then willing to re-educate. And that's where the battle really happens. Because it's not happening in our school system, so it's got to happen at home. It's not happening at some houses, so it's got to happen at the church. We have a right. We have a, a, a mandate to bring the entire truth our issues with dealing with this stuff. And we cannot keep brushing this under the rug and acting like it's going to just go away. It is not going away. If I showed you videos of the KKK marching back in the 50s and then fast forward and I show you videos of the KKK marching in Virginia. It's not going away. So what we have to do is start changing minds. I'm not here to reach the whole world. Not going to. Not expecting that to happen. But man, y'all ain't going to tell me I'm going to leave this world the exact same way I got it. I'm not leaving it like this for my, my child. I'm not leaving it like this for my daughter. Heck no. I'm not leaving it like this for her. So anybody's mind I can change, anybody I can challenge, anybody I can provoke to good works, consider yourself about to be provoked. 
Speak out. Challenge. Call it out. Sympathize. Stop deflecting. Stop deflecting. And that's the first thing I see people do when I get into conversations with mixed race. Well, what about, you know what, if I told you my daughter was dying and that there was a, in the neonatal center, you probably wouldn't bring up the fact that people all over are committing abortion. That has nothing to do with this conversation. It's no different when I talk to you about police brutality and the justice system and then people want to bring up black on black crime. Stop deflecting. We're talking about a very real issue with the justice system. A very real issue that's been systemic for a very long time and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. We have to change it. We have to do things differently. I live it. And I'm tired. I'm tired. Like, I'm just tired, man. I'm tired. I'm tired. I want to go someplace and not be viewed certain ways. I don't want to be followed by security, man. I don't want to be removed from public property by police officers. I don't want to be pulled over for driving my own car. I want to be viewed for who I am and what I've done and what I accomplished. I want to watch my daughter grow up and not live in a world where this type of foolishness is becoming normal. I feel like people have become desensitized to it. It's got to change. And again, we need your help to do that. You got to have the hard conversations with your family. You got to start educating them. If you're white, mother, father, family, you got to start educating your kids on some black history too. Or they'll grow up with the same mentality that black people are different. Because all they're being taught is that we came from slavery. They're not being taught of what we added to society. So it's easy to grow up and see us with a less than mentality, not even purposely. I'm not talking about racism. I'm talking about bias. I don't view you as having the same level of importance because I don't know of anything you've done. I don't know of anything you've accomplished. I don't know of your value because it's never been taught to me. You have to teach your children value so that they can grow up and see the value between me and somebody else that don't look the same. I got some brothers that I love them to death. I got some white friends. I see one of them on here right now, Jeremy Foster. That's my brother to my heart. Because of how he grew up. He grew up in a place where he was forced to deal with a whole lot of us. <laughs> so he learned to see things from a very different perspective. And it's not right or wrong, man. It's just a cultural understanding that a lot of people don't have. I did a racial reconciliation conversation with a group of pastors. It's probably about 15 of them. And they're about sick, you know, anywhere from, man, 35 up to 70 years old. And I asked a very easy question. I said, you know, you all are looking to reach more, a more diverse congregation with your churches that are predominantly white. I said, how many of you growing up, how many minorities have you had speaking to your life? At all, period. From kindergarten up to where you are right now. How many teachers? How many coaches? How many mentors? How many professors? How many pastors do you, did you have as mentors? Most of them said zero. 
A few said one. Because it's different, man. It's different for you all. If you all are going to make it in the world, you don't have to deal with us. For a lot of Caucasians, you can go through life and not have to deal with us. It, it's a choice. I don't have that option. If I want to be successful, I'm going to have to learn to navigate white society. I have to. For me, how many black teachers did I have? So I'm well-versed in how to navigate white culture because that's all I've ever been fed until I went on my own to learn the rest. And that's what I'm saying for my white brothers and sisters. You're going to have to choose to learn. You're going to have to choose to have some mentors and some people in your life that can challenge you on things that you don't even realize are offensive. And it's not racism. It's ignorance. You just don't know. Because you've never had somebody tell you. You never grew up in that neighborhood. You never had some friends and family where you learn the difference between what you just said and how it's being perceived. You don't even know that what you just did was highly offensive. You have no clue. Because you never let us speak into your life. That's a choice you have to make. You have to choose to stay employed under an African-American manager. Because you can go find a job elsewhere without one. If you want a mentor that's African-American, you got to go find one. And you have to ask him to mentor me. Because it's rare, rare, not that it don't happen. But it's rare that you see a large, predominantly Caucasian church being run by an African-American. It's rare. And when we speak out on the things that affect us, there's a level of defense that comes up. There's a level of anger that rises up against us. And it's not, I don't know what, what it is. It's, it's, you know, just as the term is white fragility. But it's this lack of, I, I refuse to believe that. We got to fight against that. And that starts with you. If you say, what can I do? How can I fight this? Find some black folks, find some Hispanic people, find somebody that you respect and ask them to speak into your life. Talk to them about how you grew up and the areas you come from and some of your views and ask, you know, when you hear me talk about this, what does this say? And then listen. Like really listen. Don't listen to respond. Like listen. Learn. Have compassion. Understand that your point of view is not the only one. We're missing that today. And what hurts me is that we're missing it in the church. And I want it. I want it. I want God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This ain't his will. For this type of mess to go on, for how divided we are as a country and... We can't change this by ourselves. So in the spaces where I reside, in the people that I have influence with or that are just in my circle, these are the conversations we get to have. These are the challenges that I'm putting out for you. I invite you to hit me up. You might feel your question is stupid and offensive. And you know what? It might be. <laughs> But I am happy to take your stupid offensive question and have a real conversation with you because like my mother told me, how else are you going to learn? If you don't ask and if no one's willing to talk, we as African-Americans, we as Hispanics, we as minorities, 
how do we fight it? We can't shut up because we get tired. We, we, we get mad and angry and we just shut down. Like, I don't even want to talk about this no more. We can't quit talking. You got to talk. You got to expend that currency. Don't waste it on folks that don't want to hear it, though. You got one time to disregard and, and act like you don't want to hear this. My conversation is done. But for the ones that really want to learn and really want to understand, we got to keep telling the story over and over and over. And even when I win this one, I got somebody right behind them that's, that's in the same spot where this one just started. And I can't be mad. And I can't be frustrated with them. I got to understand they're at the beginning of their process, too. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep talking. We got to keep sharing. We got to keep telling our stories. We got to keep taking the videos. We got to keep putting it up and saying, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. We got to keep calling out folks. We got to keep calling out churches. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to call it out. I'm here to provoke it. I'm here to bring up conversation. Uh, we're not going to hide. We're not going to uh, sugarcoat it. We're not going to go around the bush. We're coming straight down the highway. Let's deal with it.